What is up, everybody? Welcome to Tuesday here on the game board. <laughs> my name is The Wolf. That's not my name. That's not my given name. But that's what I am your host. Uh, I'm a games journalist. I've had 500 articles published uh, on thegamer.com. It's important to note that I am a freelancer and I don't work for the gamer. It's important to note that because my opinions are my own. Uh, the gamer's opinions are its own. Uh, neither we, neither of us speaks for the other. So there's that. Uh, I only mention that because it's potentially a reason to listen to me. Otherwise, I'm just some guy um, talking, which is fine. But uh, I I mention it just to just to mention that I, I'm already being paid to do this. So it's it's already my job so uh that being said let's uh dive into it shall we today is gonna be relatively light there's not a ton of news uh that i find particularly interesting there's always news but there's just not a ton that i think is particularly interesting so we're largely going to focus on one or two topics although i still do have 12 stories all right let's get into it shall we uh, here's the rundown. Cyberpunk 2077 has official modding tools now. The Last of Us 2 has more Game of the Year awards than any other game in history. And IO's Project 007 is going to star a, uh, a new Bond and could be a trilogy. All of that and much, much more today on the game board. Alright, let's dive into it. Cyberpunk officially has modding tools. Uh, this comes from Dark Side of Gaming by John Papadopoulos. Uh, according to the team, these tools will help you modify and create your own experiences in the world of cyberpunk. Moreover, CDPR aims to continuously update the tools alongside with game patches to ensure compatibility. The modding tools that are currently available are for tweak dump, uh, archive dump, and metadata. Metadata may be required by some of the tools. On the other hand, archive dump is a utility for listing contents of game data archives. Lastly, tweak dump is a utility for listing contents of game tweak dump uh, binaries. You can download all the official uh, mods from one of the sites. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what the actual quote-unquote official mods are going to be. So far, there are, are enhanced control mods and a vehicle control and handling mod and a third-person experimental mod. Uh, so those are those are the ones that exist right now, and those were developed without official tools. And I got I, I have to say this. Yesterday I said that I, I wasn't enjoying my experience with Cyberpunk. I figured out why that was. And it's something that you can address. Uh, needless to say, since I have addressed that, I am having a much better time <laughs> playing that game. It's just not something that I normally come across. I've rarely, rarely had to alter default controls for a game that I that I bought. However, in Cyberpunk's case, uh, that needed to happen. Otherwise, it was not going to be an enjoyable experience. Anyway, I hope I will have a full review for you uh, this weekend, hopefully by Saturday. If you're interested in hearing my opinion on reviews. 
Speaking of reviews, the I, I want to talk about two different things, okay? So, because Cyberpunk is going to be my first review, first official review, I wanted to lay out uh, what my criteria are, right? Because it's important that you know how I'm going to judge things. Okay, so here are my parameters. Uh, and this is something that I wrote for my upcoming review. All right, so uh, let's get this straight. A 10 out of 10 game is a quote-unquote perfect game. Even if it has bugs, it will be so widely considered to be great that it's worth a 10. Therefore, perfection is very hard to come by. In the same vein, the middle of the rating system is a 5. I understand that we aren't used to seeing that, and it looks really bad because everything is rated on a scale where 7 is the new 5, which is average. Now, speaking of average... I ran across this uh, opinion piece in the gamer and I thought it was worth discussing. Okay. So the title of this is ghost of Tsushima is the best average game I have ever played. And this is by Sian Maher. Uh, so uh, let's just, let's just get into it. Shall we? It's relatively long, so I'm not going to read the entire thing. Here we go. So a quote from the article, quote, the evolution of open world game design is itself open world game design's greatest impediment. While the exponential growth of technology allows for the construction of worlds on an increasingly large scale rendered with greater realism, modern design has become as imposing as it is inviting. Ghost of Tsushima, more than any, uh, more so than any other game I have played, is the greatest proponent of the tension between each of those conditions. Okay, uh, he goes on to say, this is a world in which the most meaningful inputs you can have outside of admittedly outside of the admittedly refined combat are chasing foxes towards one of too many shrines, sneaking behind enemies for extended periods of time in insta fail stealth sections or galloping across sprawling fields of pampas grass. When I look at Tsushima in retrospect, roughly six months after I fought with myself until I finished the game, I'm convinced that my qualms with it are attributable to its successes and failures in almost equal measure. What Tsushima does right gives makes me excited for the future of design, but what it does wrong makes me concerned that we are not interested in what makes something fascinating so much as we are and what gives a product a deceptive allure, a sheen that shines but turns dull the second it is examined from a different angle. Ghost of Tsushima has one of the most beautiful worlds I've ever encountered in a video game, but the world is only intriguing to explore when you aren't actually doing anything. This is something that tries far too hard to be a game in the most literal sense of the word, teeming with outdated mission design and too many places that are forced to be somewhere. And then I see it. The fact, the fact this is, by every stretch of the imagination, a wonderfully constructed game with no real reason to play it. Uh, yeah, I read that right. And then I see it, the fact this is, by every stretch of the imagination, a wonderfully constructed game with no real reason to play it. Open worlds can be the most immersive settings in the digital realm, but sometimes they try so hard to justify their existence that they lose every semblance of purpose. Sometimes we don't need a mission every two minutes or action at every corner. The best parts of Tsushima are often when it's not doing anything in particular to keep you invested in it. Uh, and obviously, like I said, I, I didn't read the entire article, but that's the what I believe to be the gist of it. 
Now, to my rating system, and here's here's why I bring this up. Okay, so the title of the article is probably intended to be clickbait, right? It's the best average game I've ever played. That said, knowing that a lot of people really enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima, right? It's, I believe, it's kind of a dig at Ghost of Tsushima, right? <laughs> and it's to say that if you enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima or if you thought it was supposed to be game of the year, you're wrong. And here's, it was an average game, right? That's what I believe the title is trying to say. And I could be very wrong about that. Um, it, it just, it, there's a clickbait element to it, right? Um, secondly, the thing that I want to bring up is that calling something the best average game is kind of a contradiction in terms. <laughs> so, um, so here's how I define average. Okay, this is this is straight from my rating system that I wrote before I ran across this article. Here's my rating system: of five is average. It is neither exceptionally good nor bad. It is largely going to come down to your personal taste. It could have a sequel. Some examples of this are 2K games, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Fortnite. Uh, it, it's not... It's functional. It's not mind-blowing. It's not bad. It's just... It just is. Alternatively, okay, 6 and 7 on my scale are very good. It's a standout game, even if it's something you've seen before, it's special. Alternatively, it's pretty great, but it's not mind-blowing. You really should check it out, but it's not necessary to do so. Examples of that would be Minecraft, Modern Warfare 2, and Fallout 4. Eight and nine games are excellent. There are only a handful of games that are this good. You need to play this, okay? And again, I wrote this before I ran across this article. I would say The Ghosts of Tsushima... Fallout New Vegas and Skyrim are eight and nine games. Okay. <laughs> so, um, admittedly, well, let's, let's kind of break this down. Let's kind of break this down so, as kind of an intro to how I'm going to rate games. Okay. So if you haven't played Ghost of Tsushima, uh, you really, really should. You really, and I'm not going to give spoilers about anything. I'm just going to go over some of the gameplay. Okay. Um, Ghost of Tsushima is it is visually stunning. I I've never seen anybody say that it's a bad looking game because it's not. You just can't say that. It's honestly, objectively one of the prettiest games you'll play. <laughs> um, lots of color, lots of detail. Um, it is it it's a feast for the eyes. Okay. Secondly, its combat system is relatively unique. Obviously, you're playing in feudal Japan as a samurai, so your weapons are uh, swords and bows. Um, there's some gunpowder involved, but it, you don't have guns. Your your weapons are it, it's melee weapons. Okay, so there are four different styles of fighting, each with its own benefits. Uh, the armor system gives you benefits. Uh, that's not particularly unique, but the the fighting is 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 pretty unique. Um, second to that, the guidance system, the way you find your way around the world, uses the wind. So you follow the wind. Um, 
it's pretty unique. It's not like the greatest thing ever. It's neither helpful or an impediment, but it is an innovation that is noteworthy. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's it's mostly just hack and slash. You ride around, you kill Mongols. <laughs> so that's where I want to start talking about this, okay? You can't... I, I don't believe that it, you can call Ghost of Tsushima an average game um, and not be insulting about it. It, it. There is nothing about this game that is average. Um I shouldn't say nothing, but the, to call this game in particular average is it's just an insult to me, right? Uh, again, this is on my scale. On my scale, an average game is neither exceptionally good nor bad. Okay, It just is. It just is a game um, and you could play it, you could not play it. It, just, it really wouldn't matter. Uh, the fact that it... <laughs> The visuals alone don't make it an average game. <laughs> um, it, the visuals by themselves are far, 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 far above average. Secondarily, the combat system is not your average combat system. It is not something you're going to run across in very many games. Okay, uh, A storyline is not an average storyline. Um I say that with a little, you can take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Uh, it's a kind of a revenge plot, but it, it's from a quasi king perspective. It's not something that you, it's not over the top unique, but it's not average. Okay. I don't think. So to call it an average game is just insulting. Okay. I will say, I will say, that there are elements of it that are repetitive and boring and they could use a lot of tweaking to make it more interesting. Um, I really like the shrines. I really like um, that mechanic of exploring the world. I, I don't think that's a particularly bad thing. Um, I also like there are um, other shrines <laughs> um, that incorporate a platforming element the platforming is not particularly difficult um nor is the problem solving so it can become repetitive however okay there there is another element there are several other elements right it sends you on quests for uh mythic armor there are duels with other samurai um things like that right so there, there is a balance. There are really unique elements that um, are really, really cool, right? The duels are really cool. The shrines are visually really cool. Um, functionally, they can be repetitive and boring. Um, probably the worst offender of something that's really boring is uh, uh, you have to uh, liberate certain areas of the, of the island and that that is it's basically a sneak mission and um it's essentially the same this the same fort over and over and over and over again <laughs> that that part does get boring uh but again the combat is is interesting and it, it allows you to 
choose how you're going to go about it. You don't have to sneak around. You don't, you could go in there and hack your way through all of them, which is enjoyable in itself, but the, the combat is um, difficult. So that's not really the best way to go about it. Um, I, it has its downsides, but it's to me, this is, this is a solid eight, a solid, solid eight. It is an exceptional game. Um, there's nothing really quite like it. It has its problems, but to me, just purely based on, on its, its setting, its visuals, and its attempt at something new are enough to make it an eight. It's not, it's not an average game. It's not even just a standout game. Uh, I think it's something that you need to you you need to see yourself and you need to play yourself and draw your own conclusions. But by any stretch of the imagination, any reasonable person would never call this an average game. <laughs> um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're being intellectually honest, this is not an average game. Which brings us to The Last of Us 2. Okay? So, what is... Th this game is widely considered to be perfect, right? Um, so, this comes from Game Rant by Dalton Cooper. And it says, The Last of Us 2 saw its fair share of controversy, but the game was still a massive success, selling millions, millions of units worldwide and earning rave reviews from critics, becoming one of the highest rated games of 2020 in the process. While it has its detractors, Last of Us 2 is still considered by many to be an exceptional release, and that success has since has seen it become uh, the game with the most Game of the Year awards in history. As pointed out by Reddit user uh, Australia, <laughs> The Last of Us 2 has earned a staggering 261 Game of the Year awards so far, with potential to earn even more. This means The Last of Us 2 has surpassed the previous Game of the Year record holder, which was The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, uh, which itself earned 260 Game of the Year awards during its run. So, um, obviously, a lot of people really, 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 really liked The Last of Us 2. And I've seen some of the ads where The Last of Us 2 received critical reviews that were 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Overwhelmingly perfect scores. Okay, so again, based on my based on my uh, scale, you don't have to. It, it's it's just my scale because I believe it's more honest than <laughs> most scales. Um, so my scale is perfection, right? It will be so widely loved that even its bugs will be part of its charm. Uh, examples of this would be Pong, Super Mario, Pokemon Red, and uh, Left for Dead. <laughs> if you want to be cheeky. Um, I'm only sort of kidding about Left 4 Dead. So those are games that I would consider perfection. They, you just, they're so iconic that you can't really change them. Okay. Uh, that being said, I think there is a serious need for half scores, half points to be awarded. Um, that is to say, it's subjective okay so for me 
yeah, you know, the a score of a point five, it could you're justified in rounding it down, or equally justified in rounding it up. It's really a matter of taste. Uh, is a to me is a point five rating. So for me, The Last of Us Two should get an eight point five. Okay, you would be justified in calling it an eight. You would be justified in calling it a nine. I, you know, uh, again, it's kind of like the Ghost of Tsushima article. It, it's it would be an insult to rate it lower than an eight. It, it's just it's not. It's it's impact is self evident, <laughs> and again, you know, kind of in the same vein as Ghost of Tsushima, just purely because of that. It is. It deserves to be higher up on the ratings. Uh, whether you agree with storytelling or not is kind of irrelevant. It's it's a subjective thing, I believe. I believe uh, personally, I think it would have been better if we'd seen Abby's story first. That would have made way more sense to me. Um, I think it would have also been more impactful because I spent the entire time just hating that character. Uh, I just wanted her to die. I could not empathize with her at all. I just wanted her dead. Um, so I thought it could have been better in that sense. Um, but at the same time, if you're being intellectually honest, it, the choice that they ultimately went with, um, was challenging, which in itself was interesting, right? Which could put it as a nine. Right, it was willing to go out there and do some things that uh, I don't know that a lot of people appreciated. <laughs> um, either way, it, it's it, there's no justification for rating it lower than an eight, and I know a lot of people would say that there's no justification for rating it lower than a nine, but again, it, it's it's not it's subjective, okay, and it's not a perfect game. Um, I. The other problem I have with it is the pacing. I thought the pacing was too slow. Uh, at least in certain parts, it just it it felt like it was going on forever. Like, oh my god, just get on with it. So, um, those those two things are, I believe, what bring it down from a nine point five to an eight point five again personally everyone's got their own rating system and i understand that most people rated it uh, as a perfect game no changes right that's what i believe a perfect game is no changes um i don't believe the last of us to reach that point but it is a very very good game um you have to be willing to admit that uh but it, it you know it's still got it's still got its issues right the zombies are um repetitive the pacing can be slow uh it's just the storytelling can be off-putting um if you want to throw that in there it that might be it depending on your point of view that might be these might be nitpicks they might be major sticking points which again is why i think half points need to be awarded so um all of that was to give you an introduction <laughs> into how i'm going to uh, review cyberpunk 2077 and again hopefully i'm gonna have that up by saturday so just be prepared for review scores that are going to be 
slightly different than what you're used to. Uh, I also plan, I, I think it's, I, I think it would be uh, disingenuous or, or what's the word I'm looking for? <sighs> well, here's the, here's the point. I think you need to, you, because of the state of the game, this is kind of a unique situation. I wish I had bought it before the 1.1 patch, but I didn't. Um, so this review is going to be after the 1.1 patch. I want to do another one after the, the 1.2 patch, which is the next major one, which is why I'm rushing to finish it so that I can give you uh, an ongoing review of what's going on. I, I think that Cyberpunk 2077 merits that, and I think you deserve that. And I think the game deserves that. And I think the game developers deserve that. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, we'll see what actually happens. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Biomutant, uh, the game from THQ Nordic, is getting released on May 25th. Again, this comes from Dark Side of Gaming by John Papadopoulos. Uh, THQ Nordic has announced that Biomutant will release May 25th. And while the game is now available for pre-order, the publisher did not reveal any additional details about it. Biomutant is a is an open-world post-apocalyptic kung fu fable RPG. <laughs> um, the game will feature a unique martial arts style combat system, which will allow you to mix melee shooting and mutant ability action. According to the, the Experiment 101, Biomutant's martial arts style combat system promises to allow players maximum freedom of movement and agility. Moreover, players will be able to recode their genetic structure to change the way they look and play. The game also aims to let players mix and match parts to create their own unique single or double-handed slash crush and pierce melee weapons. Players will also have full freedom when equipping their character. They will be able to choose their weapons as well as the type of gear they wear. So, um, again, you know, it's you couldn't call this game average, but it sounds like it could possibly be better than uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But based on that description alone, it's definitely in the 8 or 9 range. I guess we'll see what the execution actually looks like. Anyway, uh, James Bond. Let's talk about James Bond. <laughs> um, IO Interactive, as you may or may not know, is doing a 007 game. The IO Interactive is the one that did uh, the Hitman trilogy. So it makes sense, right? Hitman is basically 007, except it, like, you know, the dark 007. <laughs> so uh, this combination makes perfect sense. Um, details about it are scarce. This comes partially from Game Informer by Leanna Rupert. Uh, quote, details about the upcoming James Bond game are still scarce, but we do have new insight into IO's Interactive's plans of growth and the hopes of the new IP becoming a trilogy. Um, so she pulled that from a different article in PC Gamer by Rich Stanton, uh, who I, I'm sure got it from somewhere else, but this is where I found it. This comes from studio director uh, Hakan Abrak, uh, who said, quote, we've been allowed to make our own digital bond, which will not lean on a bond actor. We have also come up with a completely original story, and you could easily, 
easily imagine that a trilogy could come out of it. Okay, so that's where the rumors that a trilogy are possible or coming from. He he believes that this story is worthy, potentially worthy of a trilogy. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, a, I think too many things have trilogies, and it's going to for me. It's going to have to be a really interesting story to warrant three games. Um, a lot of things feel like they're a blatant cash grab, and it really doesn't need it. So I, I guess we'll have to see what story they're actually trying to tell. Um, so obviously there is going to be a new iteration of James Bond. It's not going to be based on Sean Connery or Daniel Craig or, um, uh, what's the other guy's name? Pierce Brosnan. None of those are going to be the James Bond that we play as. This is going to be an entirely new character that we've never met before. We know nothing about this particular bond. Um, so it'll, uh, opens up a lot of things, right? again it'll be it'll be interesting to see what actually happens with this um i don't generally keep up with bond there are there's it's not my kind of genre <laughs> uh but this a spy movie after playing black ops cold war like i want to be a spy i really 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 want to play as a spy i really do that sounds like a great game uh james bond can be campy and it can feel weird. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know where this is going to fit. I, I don't know where this is, again, on my rating scale, this could be anywhere from like a five to a eight. It, it really depends on how they do this. So I, we'll have to get our hands on it before we make any judgments. Um, something I've also been doing is rewatching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is, Oh man, that those movies are a masterpiece. Uh, those things are like they're the greatest movies, some of the greatest movies ever made. Um, really, really, really well done. <laughs> so obviously, any of the games that are directly inspired by Lord of the Rings or are set in Lord of the Rings universe, um, there is a high expectation for those. So Lord of the Rings Gollum which I didn't know was happening. Lord of the Rings Gollum is being pushed to 2022. This comes from Games Radar Plus by Alyssa uh, Mercanti. Um, so Lord of the Rings 2, uh, I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings Gollum puts you in control of Gollum. Uh, I think during the events of uh, the Fellowship and the Two Towers and Return of the King. Um, so it it should be a pretty interesting perspective to see right uh he is hundreds of years old he knows everything around there he a lot of people and characters in the universe know him or of him uh it should be really interesting he's got like a sneak mechanic right he can climb up walls and stuff uh, so it'll be i think it'll be really interesting anyway this comes from the uh the uh, the article says, quote, the email from Dead Good PR announces a, quote, fellowship between Lord of the Rings Gollum developer uh, Datalek Entertainment and Nacon, which has officially been announced as a co-publisher. Nacon has published a bunch of sports titles like Rugby 20, WRC 9 and Tennis World Tour 2. 
as well as Werewolf, The Apocalypse, Earthblood, and the upcoming Vampire, The Masquerade, Swan Song. And like you, I have heard of none of those games. Uh, continuing on, <laughs> buried within that Fellowship announcement is the sentence... Uh, developed for Xbox and PlayStation consoles, Nintendo Switch, and PC. The game will be released in 2022. Uh, the Lord of the Rings Golem was announced in March 2019 and was set to release sometime this year on PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, PS4, and PS5. It seems that the release date has quietly been pushed back to sometime in late 2021, but it's unclear why. We do know that Lord of the Rings Golem will use ray tracing and more new features on PS5, including the DualSense controller's haptic feedback ability to denote when Golem's stam stamina is low. Perhaps the team at Datalik needs more time to make sure the game shines on the latest console, hence the delay. We spoke with the Lord of the Rings Golem devs on why Golem is such an interesting hero back in 2020, in August of 2020, and the team opened up about the game's combat system and dialogue options mini-games. Whenever this game does arrive, it'll certainly be one to watch. There's no set release date yet, but if Datalek and or Nacon announce one, we will update you accordingly. So there you have it. You'll be able to play as Golem uh, sometime next year. Should be should be interesting i don't know how you could mess that up but i've been surprised before <laughs> um mass effect 4 could tie the trilogy and andromeda together with liara and Ryder. so this theory comes to us um via game rant by uh marina del greco so uh, from the article, quote, the Mass Effect 4 teaser trailer debuted at the 2020 Game Awards definitely left more questions than answers for players. No one knows what galaxy Mass Effect 4 will be set in, who exactly the protagonist will be, or even an official name for the in-development title. So I watched the trailer. Actually, let, let's listen to it together, okay? Because visually speaking, I don't know that there's much there. So let's... Let, Let's listen to it together and you tell me. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched. Roger, copy. Eagle Houston, you're a go for landing, over. Secure station. Not unknown vessel approaching. We need first contact protocol. Humanity now stands as partners of the Delta. find Liara Sassoni climbing a the husk of a reaper and uh, 
she turns and the camera fades out and that's literally all we have right so here's the theory uh continuing on from the article quote it's been confirmed through pathfinder writer listening to their father's logs that alec was in contact with liara before arc hyperion took off for the andromeda galaxy the initial messages are from the year 2182 right before liara met shepherd and started on the journey to save the galaxy from the reapers Liara later sends a message in 2186 telling Alec Ryder that the Reapers had arrived and that the Milky Way and its people may be changed forever. She asks him not to forget them, forget about them, and signs off. Uh, can, uh, so, uh, a lot of people are really, like, they really, 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 really want Andromeda and Milky Way, the old trilogy, to uh, coalesce into a coherent story. A lot of that is bolstered by the trailer where, you know, it shows uh, from intergalactic space. It shows um, Andromeda and the Milky Way and it kind of zooms in on the Milky Way. And then that's that's the trailer we just heard. Right. So a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's got to involve both. I really like we haven't even seen the end of Andromeda. Um and it took 600 years for them to get there. Like, obviously, things can change in 600 years. Technologi- technology can change drastically in 600 years. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for um, the Milky Way trilogy or story to coalesce with Andromeda. Um, it, it, and Liara could be there because the Asari can live thousands of years, right? or at least 1000 years. So, and she was only like 200 or something when we met her in the original trilogy. So it's possible. I just don't, I kind of don't want it to be true. I want it to stay in the Milky way and I don't want to go back to, I don't want the two to intermix. It just, it, the story can get weird from there. I guess it all depends on how, uh, how it's done. We've never really seen, I've never really seen anyway an intergalactic story like where there are two entire galaxies. One galaxy is big enough. I, I This is the one story that I've heard of where there are two galaxies involved Two entirely like I you would have to you can't it's difficult to even wrap your mind around how freaking big the milky way is by itself and then to throw in another galaxy that's the same size is like it's almost too much to wrap your mind around it it really 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 is and to make those two become one universe where like species are hopping between the two is it's just too much for my tiny brain to handle so um kind of in the same vein as far as space goes 343 is promising to uh give us monthly updates about the development of halo infinite uh which should only really be 10 updates at this point nine something like that so uh quote from the article this comes from game rant by um diary ban uh, I'm going to go with that quote from the article quote replying to fans on Reddit 343 industries community manager Brian Jared revealed that the studio intends on releasing a monthly blog post titled inside infinite in which it will discuss some of the ambitious and amb- yeah some of the ambitions ambitions behind Halo infinite with the team. 
according to Jared, to manage expectations, this won't have world premiere, big screenshots, or huge things like a date announcement. Uh, but our goal is to offer our community more context and insights into our team and the game we're making while we're all waiting for the larger beats and full marketing machine later this year. The first installment of this Inside Infinite series will feature a discussion with the Sandbox team at 343, with Jared claiming that they will be sharing elements of the design process behind Halo Infinite's world. Infinite is noteworthy for being the first, first open-world Halo game ever, barring a lot of the game design elements from the levels featured in the very first Halo Combat Evolved. Coincidentally, Halo Infinite's release is very likely to coincide with Halo with Combat Evolved's 20th anniversary, which is in November of this year. Halo Infinite is has had a particularly difficult development cycle being announced all the way back in June 2018, with no gameplay showcased until over two years later. It's clear that 343's confidence in showcasing the game has been hit deeply through the criticism it received back in June, so it's refreshing to see the studio want to maintain transparency and trust with its audience, which will hopefully lead to a Halo game that all fans, both new and old, will enjoy. Uh, so we'll, we'll pause it there. I've talked before about how this game is 20 years old. This story is 20 years old. I can't remember... I can't remember what happened in Halo 4 and 5. I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't freaking remember what happened in 4 and 5. Um, and to be quite frank with you, I'm bored of Halo. I, I just am. I'm tired of Halo. I grew up on it. Uh, I don't know what they could do. I, I don't know what they could do. I can't even remember the damn story. You know what I mean? So, And I grew up with it. So I don't know how you know, a 16 year old kid, 17 year old kid who wasn't even born when this thing came out is going to find any interest in it. Uh, it could be, it could be that I'm wrong. It could be a game that brings in a new batch of pair of, uh, players. But I, I mean, if, if I'm uninterested and this is one of the first games that I ever played, uh, on a console was halo, right? at least that I remember. I remember playing Star Fox and Halo when I was a kid, when I was 10 years old. <laughs> um, this is one of the first games I played. It's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I love Halo, but I'm sick of it. <laughs> um, I don't know how, if you don't go back and play the original Halo trilogy, how would you know what's going on? And how do you get people interested in going back and playing the, uh, the Halo trilogy? I don't know, because that's a 20-year-old game. And I know it was just remastered, but damn, man. Like, Even the remaster was like five years ago. So, <laughs> or six years ago, maybe more than... like. It's a very old franchise, is my point. I guess we'll see what ultimately happens with it, but I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really excited about it, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I think I'll end it there. I took a little bit more time than I typically do uh, with my rant about uh, reviews and how I'm going to <laughs> review things. So I'll save the last um, five stories for tomorrow and we can talk about them then. Nothing uh, earth shattering there, but we'll uh, we'll talk about those tomorrow. So I will see you guys for the Wednesday edition of the game board. This has been the wolf. I will catch you tomorrow. Peace.